0: Hey, this is the podcast of Sue Wesley and Church's sermon from our Sunday worship services. I'm Pastor Brooks, the one who usually teaches here. Whether you're a regular attender or just listening in for a sample of what our church is like, I really hope this benefits your growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Good morning, once again. I'm glad to be here with you, and oh, this morning was a, a great time of worship for me in particular. I it's something I needed, so uh, thank you for leading. Um so this time of year is always an interesting time to to share a message uh, right around the new year we we have like this natural kind of like restart um where we have this uh, new year coming up where it's going to be like, you know, probably about March, maybe June before we actually are writing 2019 down when we actually have to date things. Because, you know, it always happens that you try to you go to write it and it's, it always ends up, you write the last year and then you have to try to exit out and do something different. You know, 17 to 18 was kind of easy because you could just kind of like fix it, you know, pretty easy. But, you know, it's just interesting how we always come up on this time of this, this marker, this... this um, This time where many people set up resolutions. And I noticed earlier this week that the one thing that uh, within the word resolution was the word solution— so it's like we are, we are trying to recorrect or, or realign or rework um, you know, our lives to, find, uh, to get back on the path, to find the right way to go, uh, to find the solutions to maybe like the, the problems or the adjustments that we want to have in our lives. And so we want to retry to get back on that path or to reorient our direction. And so as, as we open, I want to kind of like just talk a little bit about New Year's resolutions. Um, I rarely ever set New Year's resolutions because um, it's very common that people break New Year's resolutions. And I'm like, I don't really want to set something up that I'm going to fail at. And so I rarely ever set them. And and in the recent past, I've set a few where, um, where I wanted to maybe like read through the Bible twice in one year. And I made it halfway through that resolution. I made it through once and then life happened and I didn't end up meeting that. Um, and you could ask anybody who owns or runs a gym that, or even goes to a gym, that you see a lot of people set up these resolutions because one of the main ones that often fail is that people want to get uh, fit or get healthier. And so they want to go to a gym. And so memberships at the gym tend to flood up uh, in January and then everything's kind of back to normal about March. And you might have, like, you know, 10% of the people who came in January still around. Um, you know, I've, I've been to a gym before where it just gets crowded in January, and then you're back to the normal crew, you know, coming a few months down the road. But so a few common New Year's resolution uh that get broken are, one, getting fit. Because I think we, we come through the, the time of uh, Christmas holidays where we're eating all those extra cookies and desserts and meals with families. And so we get to that point where we're like, all right, you know, I just junked it for three weeks straight. I need to get healthier. I need to you know kind of go to the gym to help that. And it ends up being one of the things that, number one, gets broken. Uh, The second one is I want to learn a new skill. And so um, we might be like, all right, I want to learn how to play the saxophone. And so you go out and we buy a saxophone and we get ready to, to play it. And then by like the second week of February, it's sitting in the corner collecting dust. You know, and then the third one that tends to get broken is we want to stop spending money and actually begin to save it. And that's why it's actually kind of important. Like when we have uh, the times where Dave Ramsey's uh, financial piece comes up, January is always a great time because it runs us through, you know, two months of of courses to really kind of like help us adjust for that. But yet, that's one of the things that actually uh, ends up failing a lot of times is the spending money because life happens and then you fall back into your normal patterns that you have developed. One another one that gets uh, left out and and broken a lot is to get organized. Um, and so like maybe you're, you're wanting to organize all your receipts that you get because you know tax season's coming and you need to you know, make sure everything's adjusted. And so January, you spend all this time. You do great. You have Januarys organized in folders, and then March comes and life happens, and then you just throw them all in the corner again, and they just stack up into a pile, and you're like, all right, let's just put this in a bag and I'll go through it later. And then you never go through it again. And uh, the fifth one that's really common that gets broken is wanting to see family more is to go and spend time with family, but yet, you know, like I said, life gets busy, and you might not be able to drive the 2, four, six, eight, 10, 24 hours away to go see family. And if you're in the Christian circles, there's, a, there's some other ones that kind of you know, show up for us. Uh, we see resolutions that include, look, I want to read the Bible more, or I want to pray more, or I want to serve more, or I want to actually go to church more. Uh, et cetera, et cetera, but we don't really always set a plan for it. We just kind of say, I want to do this more, and we just leave it loosey-goosey. We leave it um, open-ended, and um, we recognize that all of these things are good things, and that's why we set them as part of our resolutions. But whenever it comes to a specific plan of attack, whether it is I want to read the Bible in a year or I want to spend 15 minutes in prayer every morning, um, we set goals a lot of times as if they're tasks, to be completed, as if our Christian walk is merely a checklist of items that we must include within the rest of our busy lives. You know, and they either get lost in the busyness of life, or we lose track of them uh, because we've set too high a goals, or we set too low a goals. You know, the too high a goal might come to the point where we set something so lofty that you know we make it a point for a long time, and then life happens, and we end up. Falling away for a couple months from doing that, and we don't do it, or we set goals that are so low, we're like, "Yes, I can't fail at this," but then it's just not as important, and so you end up just uh, getting it cluttered in with the daily life, and you don't even uh, connect with it. But our goal for growing as a Christian in our walk, it shouldn't be to execute all the tasks perfectly, you know, but we should be growing. By spending time learning about God and communing with the God of creation. With a God who out of his love and out of his grace took on flesh and dwelt among us. Who poured out himself even to the point of death to restore a relationship with us that we had broken with him. So for me, one of my restarts or my refocusing or resolution is actually to get to know the heart of God more. You know, for me, this isn't just like a New Year's resolution. This is a, this is a bigger restart in in my life because this is a new ministry. This is a new place. Um, you know, so it's actually a bigger kind of a shift in my life. And so I I wanted to set a goal for myself to be able to be in prayer more because. Honestly, worshiping, um, you know, with music and stuff, that's so easy for me. Turning the radio on and worshiping and having it going continually, you know, that is so easy for me to connect. But the hard part is actually spending time in prayer or spending time in prayer that's accompanied with silence and solitude specifically. A time where we just sit in the presence of God. So part of my personal uh, restart is that I wanted to get a mentor, a mentor that would actually help guide and direct me, but more importantly, keep me accountable. And I tell you this, not so you say, oh wow, look at him go. He's got it all together. He's just doing awesome. No, that's not why I tell you this. I tell you this because you know it gives you the ability to keep me accountable. So it's not just me uh, going through and uh, you know blindly just putting a resolution aside saying, I want to spend more time in prayer and more time in silence and solitude with God because you know I'm so busy all the time with different things and technology and stuff but so with those I tell you this because then you can come up to me and say hey how are you doing with that you know how's it going and then I can be honest and say hey it's it's going great or hey um yeah this week wasn't that great you know and it gives the opportunity for dialogue and discussion and so one of the things that I would like to connect with and to really look at with that being said is Um, I want to look at prayer today. I want to refocus in on looking at maybe what prayer is, some examples of prayer, maybe a, a plan of attack for praying. And so if you look up the definitions of prayer, you'll find a few key thoughts that are always mentioned within various definitions of prayer. Prayer is defined as asking for help or expressing thanks to God. It is described as a regular religious service, And it is also used in place for words like hope or wish. You know, a better definition um, or understanding of prayer would be this. It would be a transparent conversation with the Lord. You know, because he already knows you at your innermost being. He knows your thoughts. He knows the things that are going on. So a transparent conversation is us letting our guard down and just being honest with him connecting with him, whether that would be um, the times when we're at the end of ourselves or whether it's the times where we are petitioning for uh, friends and family to come to know the Lord or that God would move mightily, specifically in the lives of our family members or friends or you know, people that we know. Um, you know it would be, also include praising God for who he is and what he has done. I really like thinking about it this way because it puts the focus on seeking God first and seeking the request second. Because many times we treat prayer as a means to an end, a means to get what we want or to thank God for what we got. We treat God more like the genie from Aladdin um, who must grant all of our wishes. And uh, maybe we even pray in a way um, that we hope to trick him like Aladdin did when he was in the Cave of Wonders. You know, where he was uh, saying to the genie, like, I bet you can't get us out of here. And all of a sudden, boof, he gets out of there. And when he said, now you're down to two wishes, Aladdin's like, well, no, I didn't actually wish for it. And, you know, in Jeannie's face, if you watched Aladdin, you know, it's just jaw drop. And he's like, uh. And so maybe we treat God like that. Maybe we treat it like we're trying to bend the arm of God where we say the things the right way to get what we want from God. Like a wish or a hope that we can get. But really, our main goal in prayer should be to see God glorified. You know, we should be praying in a way that we would see the, the name of Jesus be glorified and lifted up. That the prayers that we pray are specific and bold so that God receives more glory from uh, choosing to answer those prayers. And that's why we need to be praying specific prayers. Because in reality, if you're praying just a gen- generic, run-of-the-mill kind of a prayer God is actually robbed of glory, because if we're praying specific, bold prayers, then when God chooses to answer those, to really um, show up mightily in those ways, you know, we know that He moved, and it's not just a generic like, "I'm just going to put a swath prayer across all of this," and if God's going to move in some area, we I can be like, "Ooh, yay!" But no, it's a specific prayer, and then God can show up mightily within that. So as we look at prayer, I wanted to kind of connect in and look at how Jesus prayed. Because, you know, why not look at how God himself prayed and, and gave us an example of how to pray. And so we see one that Jesus prayed alone. That was one of, one of the key things we noticed. He prayed in public, and we see that, and we understand that. But he prayed alone. Uh, Mark six forty six says, And after he'd taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. In Luke 9, 18, the first part of it says, now it happened that as he was praying alone, we see that as Jesus spent his extended time of public ministry where he was um, healing and casting out demons and answering the the prayers of the people who kept flocking to him, uh, we see that he took time alone to pray and to recharge and to connect with the Father. Luke 5, 15 to 16 says this, Says, but now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But when but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Sometimes we forget, I know this is true for myself, but sometimes we forget what it is like to be alone with God. This is because that even when we are by ourselves. We have a noise of technology um, ever surrounding us, you know, beeping and whirring and whizzing and, you know, making do-do-do-do-do sounds, you know, all the time. Um, The computer is on or the TV is on. The radio is on. You know, the phone is going. And uh, when we actually get to the point where we get to true silence, you know, for those brief moments, we might feel super uncomfortable because it almost feels like we're being exposed. You know, I had the opportunity one time to go into a soundproof recording room and it was one of the weirdest things because even your voice didn't echo off the walls. it's like you spoke it and it was gone. You know, to be in true silence, you know, it's a little unnerving sometimes. So one of the things that I know personally for myself that I have to do when when I'm in prayer is that I have to be moving. Because even when I'm talking on the phone, even when I'm connecting with someone, I'm always circling things. You know, when I would grow up, um, we had our uh, dining room, living room, stairway area, and kitchen. And there was just, you know, you can go to every one of them. And I'd be on the phone for an hour or two, and I'd be circling through them so much so that my parents would be like, you just stop. You know, you can't be doing this. And so i go upstairs and just do it up there, you know. Um, but it's just something that I would do just to stay focused because I know if I'm sitting still in one spot— then all of a sudden my mind is running circles around other things and I can't focus. And so for myself, um, you know, that's one thing that I have to do. Maybe you need to do that too when you're in prayer. Maybe you've realized that kneeling down and being really still, you know, all of a sudden your mind keeps going and wandering to this and that and another thing that's coming up. You know, One of the other things that, that as I was reading um, earlier this week that was really challenging upon me is that redeeming time that you, uh, you have that you know, might just be busyness, like driving. You know, now now we're down in Kinshlo, so I have a 20-minute drive in, in, into the church um, every day. And so that's a 20 minutes here, 20 minutes back. And for me, it's so much easier just to keep the radio on and just to sing the songs and hear three or four songs during that time. But I've been keeping the radio off because I'm like, I, I've been challenged by what I'm reading to redeem that time and so I want to try my best to make sure that I am actually inputting um, and spending time with God. And yes, my mind wanders and goes differently, but I want to always try to bring it back to prayer because I want to redeem the commute that I have to work. Um, so Jesus also prayed the words of Scripture. So we see that he prayed alone, but we also see that he prayed the words of Scripture Uh, One of the greatest examples of this is actually in Mark 15, 34, when he prays, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's actually a direct quote from Psalm 22, verse 1. And uh, Mark Driscoll puts it this way. He says, Jesus, in this instance, is making the written revelation of God the verbal revelation of his prayer. And this is a biblically shaped prayer life. And so that, that brings me to the question. It's like, you know, Jesus was praying from the Psalms. Have, have you ever prayed from the Psalms? I know I'm being challenged for that personally. Um, you know, we see that the Psalms are actually a collection of prayers and worship songs written by King David and written by his son Solomon and a few other worship leaders of that day. And they exemplify the realities of life. Like, there's a psalm that can pretty much cover every stage of life or moment that you're in. You know, whether it's crying out to God because you're at the end of yourself, or whether it's, you know, things are going fantastic and you're on the mountaintop. There is a psalm that can fit each and every one of those situations and circumstances. So I'm I'm currently reading a book by Mark Batterson called The Circle Maker. And it's a book about prayer. And it actually gives like a, a direction and kind of a, a battle plan uh, for how to pray. And uh, Pastor Mark begins the book with a story about a man named Honi. And uh, this is a legend that was passed down through, through the Jewish history. And um, this is a guy who lived a generation before Jesus was born. And uh, the account goes like this. This is how he puts it in in the beginning of his book. It says this. Young children danced in the downpour like it was the first rainfall they'd ever seen. And it was. Parents threw back their heads, opened their mouths, and caught raindrops as if they were libations. And they were. When it hasn't rained in more than a year, raindrops are like diamonds following from the sky. And it would be forever remembered as the day, the day that the thunderclaps applauded the Almighty. The day puddle jumping became an act of praise. The day the legend of the circle maker was born. It was the first century BC and a devastating drought threatened to destroy a generation. The generation before Jesus. The last of the Jewish prophets had died off nearly four centuries before. Miracles were such a distant memory that they seemed um, vacant. They seemed gone. And the words flowed from Honi. As he came up for prayer, he drew a circle, you know, kind of like clockwork. He went 90 degrees, 180 degrees, 270 degrees, and back to 360 degrees and drew a circle and began to pray. And as the words flowed from the depth of his soul, his prayer was resolute yet humble, confident yet meek, expectant yet unassuming. And then it happened. As his prayer ascended to the heavens, raindrops descended to the earth. An audible gasp swept across thousands of congregants who had encircled Honi. Every head turned heavenward as the first raindrops parachuted from the skies. But Honi's head remained bowed. The people rejoiced over each drop. But Honi wasn't satisfied with a sprinkle. Still kneeling within the circle, Honi lifted his voice over the sound of the celebration. Not for such rain have I prayed, But for rain that will fill cisterns, pits, and caverns. And the sprinkle turned into such a torrential downpour that eyewitnesses said no raindrop was smaller than an egg in size. It rained so heavily and so steadily that the people fled to the Temple Mount to escape the flash floods. And Honi stayed and prayed inside his protracted circle. Once more, he refined his bold request Not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain of your favor, blessing, and graciousness. Then, like a well-proportioned sun shower on a hot and humid August afternoon, it began to rain calmly, peacefully. Each raindrop was a tangible token of God's grace. And they didn't just soak the skin, they soaked the spirit with faith. It had been difficult to believe the day before the day. But the day after the day, it was impossible not to believe. Eventually, the dirt around turned into mud and then back to dirt again. And after quenching their thirst, the crowd dispersed, and the rainmaker returned to his humble hovel on the outskirts of Jerusalem, and life returned to normal. But the legend of the circle maker had been born, and a timeless truth secreted within this ancient legend is as true now as it was then. Bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers. So why is this true? Is because when we pray bold, specific prayers, God is glorified as he chooses to respond to those prayers. And God has determined that a certain expression of his power will only be exercised in response to prayer. Because we can see that in James 4, 2-3. It just summed up, it says this, It says we have not because we ask not. And when we do ask, we do not receive because we're asking wrongly for it because we're asking out of selfish motive. We're asking out of our own personal heart's desires versus having our hearts shaped by the desires of God. And Pastor Mark, he writes this. He says, now here's the good news. If you pray you're seeking God to be glorified, all bets are off. You can live with a holy anticipation because you never know how or when or where God is going to answer. But I promise you this, he will answer. And his answers are not limited by your requests. Because we pray out of our ignorance, but God answers out of his omniscience. We pray out of our impotence, but God answers out of his omnipotence. God has the ability to answer the prayers that we should have prayed, but lacked the knowledge or the ability to even ask. And so as we talk about circling things in prayer, you know, one account from Scripture jumped out to me and really was uh, interesting, and it was the account of Jericho. Um, We look at the fall of Jericho, and we see that this is where God gives a ridiculous battle plan to the army um, that the last generation, except for Joshua and Caleb, that whole generation said, we are afraid. We're not going to go up against these giants in this land, these walls that are reaching to the skies, you know. And so God waited an entire generation to come through. And then he gives this account in Jericho where he says, all right, you're going to take some priests that are going to lead the way with the ark, and then you're going to take the army, and you're going to walk around the city you know, six days, one time, each, each of those days. And on the seventh day, you're going to walk around seven times. And It says right here in Joshua 6, 2-5, to it says this. It says, "'The Lord said to Joshua, "'See, I have given Jericho into your hand "'with its king and its mighty men of valor. "'You shall march around the city, "'all the men of war going around the city once. "'Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets "'of ram's horn before the ark.'" On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So let's just just think about this for a minute. Think about if you were one of those people that were walking around the city hearing this ridiculous plan with these walls that are fortified as to the heavens. You know, and Joshua, you know, your leader comes before you and says, "God's told me we're going to walk around this city one time for 6 days each day, and then the 7th day we're going to walk around 7 times around this city." You know, I can just only imagine at this time that that these people, like when they walked around the city, you know, silently, that they were praying within their hearts. Because, you know, when we get into situations when there's just something that is well beyond our ability, something that we can't even fathom uh, being done, you know, it's what we do. We pray. And so I'd imagine the same would be true for them at this time when they were going through. And I imagine that, like, the first day they go, they're kind of like, uh, all right, let's just do it. Like, we're going to obey God. We're going to see it. But come that seventh day, come that time when they're walking around seven times, like, their, their demeanor, I just imagine, has shifted completely. It's not unsure. You know, it's, it's grown bold by that seventh day. It's grown to a time where they're like, we are expecting God to move now. And he did. God answered and actually delivered on a 400-year-old promise that he had given. And so he proved that once again, his promises don't have expiration dates. That Jericho stands and falls as a testament to a simple truth. That if you keep circling the promise, God will ultimately deliver on it. So as the new year comes, as we are kind of like circling this new uh, season, this natural time of restarting things, how are you going to refocus on the things that really matter? We need to recognize that our walk with the Lord is not just about checking off boxes of tasks and saying, well, that's done for the day, but our walk is about being transparent with God. God expressing to him our deepest desires and needs and seeking to have those desires shaped by his will. You have heard it put this way before. It says, our goal shouldn't be to get through as much of the Bible as we can, but to get as much of the Bible through us as we can. Our goal shouldn't be to get through as much of the Bible as we can, but to get as much of the Bible through us as we can. So as we come to a close, let me me challenge you with this question. What is your Jericho? What is something that you need to be circling seven times in prayer? What are some of the promises in Scripture that we need to be circling and asking God to deliver upon? So let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be in your presence today. God, we thank you for the words of truth that you've given to us in your Scripture. And God, I pray that as as we leave here, that we would be inspired by your Holy Spirit to uh, connect with you on maybe a level that we've never connected upon before. God, that we would seek your face. God, that we would see the promises that you have given to us in Scripture and that we would pray those promises and to have you uh, move mightily so that we may give you glory and honor and praise that is due to only your name. God, that we would be instruments and vessels that you would use so that the gospel message, the message of grace and love in Jesus would just uh, pour out through the community. That people would come to see um, you as good and beautiful regardless of our circumstances, regardless if it's because we're going through a great time or regardless if we're going through the muck right now. But God, let us point back to you, because you are constant, because you are a rock, you are a firm foundation, God, you are a refuge. And so, Lord, I pray that you would ignite within us a passion and a fire that would just go beyond these walls, and that lives would be changed, and people would be found who are lost. God, we love you, and we praise your name. Amen.